Good morning. There are two scripture readings this morning. The first is from the 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. That was Mark 10, 46 to 52. And the second reading is from Exodus 14. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see deliverance, the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Exodus 14, 13 to 17. This morning we're in week three of this marriage sermon series we've been in, to have and to hold. And this week, uh, the title of the sermon is Finding a Spouse. That's what we're going to be talking about, Finding a Spouse. So it's interesting, there's a reversal here in terms of kind of the apology and disclaimer and pitch uh, at the beginning of the sermon. And the last two weeks, I've been talking to those of you who are single, saying here's why the marriage series still applies, or here's how... Here's why you should still listen. Uh, and this week, obviously, if you're, if you're single and would like to get married at some point, think you'd like to get married, then there's, there's obviously a, an, an inherent interest in the topic. Whereas, uh, if you're married already or if you're single and you don't think you want to, to be married or if you're divorced and you don't want to be remarried, then it's kind of like, well, why does this apply to, to me, finding a spouse? So my, my pitch to you is, uh, what we're going to be talking about today, the, the big idea, the big concept, actually applies to anything, any project uh, in, in life. And finding a spouse is a project. Uh, what we're going to talk about at the end briefly is keeping a spouse is also a project. But the big idea this morning applies to any project in any area of your life, in your professional life, in your personal life, any part of your personal life, your, your physical health, your spiritual health, whatever it is. And the big idea is this idea of taking initiative. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Taking initiative, that 
could be an alternative title to the sermon, Taking Initiative. And Finding a Spouse, we're just going to be using that as a case study. So that's what we're going to be talking about the whole time. Uh, but the, the principles apply to anything. Now, a couple of uh, preliminary remarks. First, this sermon is going to be incredibly easy to disagree with. Um, so I, I try to, yeah, th- thank you, right. Uh, just to let you in on my thought process a little bit, I try to give you a balanced diet in terms of sermons, of, of some sermons that are just kind of straight down the middle, biblical truth, where you say, well, you can't argue with that. You know, you, and maybe you've heard it a, a thousand times before, but you need a, a good reminder. So we try to have some of those. Then we, have, we try to have some other sermons where instead of saying, you can't argue with that, you come away saying, I don't know about that. You know, I'm, I'm not so sure. You're kind of scratching your head. You're thinking, I don't know if I, if I like that. And some of you won't. Some of you really will not like this morning's sermon. That, that's not that relevant, whether you like it or don't like it. <laughs> What's relevant is whether it's true or not. And I'm not claiming that it's true just because I say it. You know, these... Um, I don't know about that sermons. It's a good, good uh, point to remind you that not everything I say is true. I'm not always right. And so there's this passage in Acts where it talks about uh, this group of people at Berea. is the name of the town. And the apostles come and they give this sermon that's kind of totally out of the box for these people because they never heard the gospel before. And what it says is they, they walked away and they said, huh, that was weird. And then they went and searched the scriptures for themselves. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to, to, to take it and go and search the scriptures for yourselves. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not. But you owe it to yourself to not just go with your initial emotional response of I like it or I don't, but to actually check it out for yourself and see whether you think it's, it's true or not. The, the second uh, preliminary remark is just that, you know, what, so we're talking about taking initiative what makes this uh, different than like a motivational speech? And what makes it different is we're going to be talking about taking initiative, uh, but trying to hold that idea in tension with this other idea of God being in control and God making things happen. And what that is, what that tension is, is it's nothing less than the biggest uh, and the most debated tension and concept in philosophy and in theology, in Christian theology from day one, the number one thing that people have been debating since, since the beginning of the faith is, wait a minute, over here it says God's in control, and then over here it sounds like we're responsible. So how do you bring those two things together? Endlessly fascinating on an intellectual level. You, know, you could debate it till the, the wee small hours of the morning. But more importantly, it's also pretty much the most important question everybody has to figure out for themselves practically when it comes to how do you live your own life. So that's the tension we're going to be dealing with, and I just want to flag that at the outset so you can be watching for it. We're going to get to it a little bit later on. So uh, no points, no sections this morning. We don't need any of that. We're just going to go for it. Uh, It's going to be this meandering uh, conversation that's going to uh, unfold a little bit organically, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll end up at at a good place by the end. And I want to start uh, by saying that there are two main errors that people fall into when it comes to this, this uh, project of, of finding a spouse. The Hollywood error and the heavenly error. So the Hollywood error is to think, well, all that matters is that if we're in love. And if we're in love, then, then that's good enough. And we can have a good marriage. And that's not true. 
And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought last week's, if you were here last week, you say, I thought all of last week's sermon was about the importance of staying in love and how staying in love is crucial. Now you have to be, have that feeling of staying in love to have a good marriage. And now you're saying that's not enough. So, so what's that about? So good question. A couple of responses to that. First, this is uh, one of my favorite distinctions, the distinction between necessary and sufficient. So uh, being in love is necessary to have a great marriage. It's not sufficient to have a great marriage. Just like water is necessary for a plant to grow, it's not sufficient. You also need sunlight. So you, you do have to have this feeling of being in love like we talked about last Sunday. I'm not backing off of any of that, but it's not enough in and of itself. And to think that all we need is love, you could also call this the Beatles error. All we need is love. It's, it's going to be a mistake. The other thing about that is what we talked about last week is staying in love, being in love, that feeling of being in love, that's something you deliberately cultivate. So to, to pick it uh, on up front, this is a person that I feel in love with, I happen to feel in love with. Well, that's very different from a person who is willing to put in the work over the long haul to keep throwing logs on the fire to keep the fire burning. So that's the, the Hollywood error is thinking that, you know, we just need to be in love. But that's actually not the one I, I want to talk about. I would just bring that up to kind of contrast it with this other one that's, to me, even more interesting, which is the heavenly error. And the heavenly error is thinking that God is going to pick your spouse for you. Thinking that he has this person uh, picked out for you, that he, he's made this person specifically for you. He made him in heaven and sent him down to earth and you just have to wait for God to deliver you, your husband or your wife, on a platter. Um, or, just, you know, wait to give you a sign. You know, r- write a message in the sky. Mary, Harry, or, or whatever it is. You know, Reggie, or, you know. I don't, Reggie, I don't know where that came from. Um, but, you know, just give you a sign. So here's the problem with this idea that God has one person picked out for everybody. Let's just do a thought experiment. What would happen, so God's got one person lined up, everybody's got their perfect spouse. What would happen if just one person married the wrong person? So let's, you know, Joe is supposed to marry Jane, but he's not listening to God, and so he's disobedient, and he goes and marries Jan instead. But Jan was supposed to marry Jim, and so now Jim's left out, and he's got to find somebody. He, so he goes and pursues Julie, but Julie was supposed to marry Jack. And all of a sudden, everybody is married to the wrong person just because Joe didn't get the memo. It doesn't make sense. It's not the case. It's not the case that God just has one person for you. He hasn't picked out your spouse for you. And not only that, he's not going to pick out your spouse for you. He's not going to make this decision for you. It's a decision you have to make for yourself. It's a choice. And you, you, as an adult, you know, you have to be a man, you have to be a woman. And as an adult human being, you make this choice. And the the, uh, marriage vows are brutally honest about it. You make this choice, quote, for better or for worse. You live with it. You make the choice and then you live with it. You take responsibility for yourself. The scripture reading, the first one this morning, we talked about it on the retreat already, and we talked about it a little bit during the selfish uh, prayer uh, sermon a while back. But it's this, uh, I want to go over it again this morning, this remarkable passage with Jesus and the blind man. And to, to set it up, I want to say kind of where I'm coming from in terms of my background. So the way I grew up is I grew up seeing the absurdity and how nonsensical 
It was when you kind of absolve yourself of personal responsibility in life and think that everything's up to God. And where I saw it in particular was with this area of trying to find somebody to, to marry. So when uh, I was single, I would talk this way, and all my friends who were single would talk this way. The way we talk about it is, you know, we'd be dating somebody or, or, or not or whatever it was, and the, the phrase we'd use is, well, you know, I just want what God wants. And uh, at some point, I realized that this was really strange. It was really strange that everybody was all the time saying, I, I just want what God wants. I'm just trying to figure out what God wants. And no one was ever talking about what they wanted. What, what do I want? Nobody was ever asking, what do I want? And you say, well, isn't that good? Isn't, isn't that a good thing to, to ask, what does God want, instead of asking, what do I want? No, it's not a good thing. And the reason it's not a good thing is because you're essentially abdicating your responsibility as a human being, as this glorious, dignified human being made in the image of God. And you're saying, God, why don't you live my life for me? Because I don't want to make any mistakes. It's good to ask, what does God want, only after, only second, when you've already asked, what do I want? Because then you've got a baseline for the discussion. If you ask that first, if you ask God, what do you want first, and you don't even know what you yourself want, what are you even talking about? You can't even discuss anything. And that's what you see in the passage. So the, the blind man calls out to Jesus, and Jesus comes to him, and he asks him this question that he asks a lot of people in the Gospels. He says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, I want to see. And Jesus says, okay. But imagine how the conversation would have gone if Jesus comes, he shouts out to him, Jesus comes, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to Jesus, no, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus would say, what? You call me. Like, what, what are you talking about, you know? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, I just want what you want. You know, it doesn't make any sense. It's like you go up to order at a fast food place, and they say, what are you having? And you say, well, what would you like me to have? You know, it's, it's you have to make the choice. You have to know what you want. And not only do you have to know what you want and ask God for it, but you also have to take the first steps yourself. You have to get moving. And that's the second scripture reading this morning, this um, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. It's kind of weird. We've never, in eight years, we've never looked at this passage on a Sunday morning before. It's an amazing passage, this uh, conversation between God and Moses. So you heard it read it once already, but I'd like to read it again, if, if you'll let me, and then just kind of go through it slowly. So if you look on the back of your uh, programs, this is the second one down there at the bottom. And this is right before the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. So they've already, the exodus has already happened, or it's in progress, rather. They've gotten out of Egypt, and uh, they're, they're camped on the edge of the Red Sea, but the Egyptians are approaching from behind, so they're trapped. And the people are freaking out, and it says this. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. Okay, so this is absolutely remarkable. And what's so great about it is that it encapsulates in just two paragraphs 
uh, better than anything else I, I can think of in the Bible, this tension that I alluded to at the uh, beginning this morning, this tension that I alluded to at the end of last week's sermon, actually, in the conclusion, this tension between our part and God's part, this tension between God's control and God's power and human responsibility. And Moses gets it wrong, and you're always going to be getting it wrong. This is walking a tightrope, you know, trying to live this life with God you're always going to be falling off on one side or the other. So on the one hand, if you try to do everything on your own, never pray, never ask God for guidance, never ask God for help, well then, even if you come to church and say you believe, then you're a functional atheist. You know, so that's, that's not what you want. But on the other hand, there's this other extreme of thinking that God's going to do it all for you, which is what Moses falls into here. So look at what he says. It's, it's, what's crazy about this is he's 95% right. It's only at the very end that he gets it wrong. So if you look at his statements, people are freaking out, and he says to them, first, do not be afraid. That's right. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. That's right. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Correct. The Lord will fight for you. Also correct. You need only to be still. Wrong. He gets it wrong at the end. And you never expect to hear God say this. God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, stop praying. Stop praying and do something. Stop praying and get moving. He says, I'm going to help you, but you got to go out there and do it. And this, I, I can't believe this. If, if you look at what, what it says, he's, God says to him, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water. Raise your staff Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water. In other words, according to the Bible, God didn't part the Red Sea. Moses did. He did it with God's help. He did it by God's power. But it flat out wasn't going to happen if he just sat there. The only way the Israelites were going to get across the Red Sea is if Moses rolled up his sleeves and got to work. So back to the case study this morning. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with finding a spouse, where we're going to talk about in a, in a minute as we close. Is it's the same thing with keeping a spouse, with, with keeping a marriage alive. It's a project. It's a matter of work. It's something that you have to go out and do. you got to go out and get. So if you want to be married, and first got to decide whether you do or not. But if you do, if you do want to be married, then it, you got to go make it happen. you got to do everything in your power to find a spouse for yourself. And you got to take an honest look at yourself and your circumstances and say, okay, what is it up to this point that's made it so it didn't happen? What is it about my circumstances? What is it about my past dating relationships? Where's the block? Where's the problem? Where's the issue? And you do that too with a, a friend who's brutally honest and cares you and loves about you but is willing to tell you the, the truth. They're willing to look at your circumstances and you personally, and your past relationships, and say, here's the block, here's why it hasn't happened up to this point. Because if you want to be married and you're not, there's a reason that you're not. And it's not necessarily that it just hasn't been God's time yet, or that you're waiting on God. There could be a real-world reason that it hasn't happened yet. And if you want it to happen, you've got to address that. And you say, what, what are you trying to say? Are you, like, insulting me? Like, you telling me that I'm the problem? Well, not necessarily. You know, it could be your circumstances. It could be as simple as where you live. So just to get really practical, and I don't, don't get stuck on this one example, because this is just an example, but just to kind of get you thinking in the right direction. 
New York is a notoriously difficult place to date seriously and to meet somebody just across the board, whether you're you're Christian or not. And but then if you're a serious Christian, well, that limits your pool even further because you're you know the Bible is very clear that you're not going to have a, a happy, successful marriage unless you marry somebody that's that's uh, as committed to to Christ as you are. So I should pause there because I know that's something even in itself that can kind of cause a knee-jerk reaction for people. What I'm not saying is um, everybody should marry within their own religion. That's not what I mean. So, like, if you've got a um, you've got a girl that was raised in a uh, Jewish family and a guy that was raised in a Catholic family, and religion's not important to either of them, and their parents say, you know, well, we'd like you to marry within the faith. Well, who cares? You know, they should get married. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying, as a rule, people should, should marry within their religions. I'm saying if, if you're serious about your faith and your relationship with Christ, you'd be a fool to marry somebody that's not as serious as you are. Scripture says that, and the experiences of all mature Christians say the same thing. Well, if that's the case, all of a sudden your pool just got a lot smaller in New York. And practically, it's going to be tough. Not impossible. You say, can't God do it? Yeah, he, he could, but that doesn't necessarily mean he would because his power is only going to kick in once you do everything in your power and everything you can do. And what this reminds me of and kind of where I'm trying to take this is to the most famous example in Scripture of finding a spouse, which happens in Genesis 24, and it's uh, finding a spouse for Isaac, Abraham's son. So what I love about this story is that it is often used as a, a, in support of the heavenly error. Because there's one part in the middle of the story where the guy that goes to find the spouse for Isaac uh, asks God for a sign. He says, God, give me a sign about who the right person is, and God does give him a sign. And so people say, well, look, th- there you have it. You know, the, God had this person all picked out. Yeah, you just pray for a sign. God gave him the sign. That's all there is to it. God will do everything. The problem with that is, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Genesis chapter 24 before he asks for a sign that have nothing to do with prayer and nothing to do with God. So the way the chapter starts is Abraham, it says Abraham's getting old, and the Lord had blessed him, but Isaac still didn't have a wife, and so he was worried about it. He didn't want to die without Isaac having a wife. So he calls his, his most trusted servant in, and he says, all right, uh, we've got to make this happen. It's up to you and me. With God's help, but it, basically it's up to you and me, and we've got to depend on him to help us, but we've got to do this. So what I want you to do is I want you to go back to the home country and find a wife. Now, this was not like a, a plane flight. This was a journey of you know thousands of miles, a couple months. Why? Well, because Abraham worshipped the one true God. He wanted a wife for Isaac to worship the one true God. Where they had moved to Canaan, there was nobody like that. So he doesn't, uh, you know, pie in the sky and say, well, there's a lot of nice girls around here. Maybe we can get one of them to convert. He says, no, the probability, logic, the easiest way to find a spouse that worships the one true God is going to be go back to the home country. And so he goes on this long journey, and he doesn't expect, he doesn't say God, because what, what could God have done if he wanted to? So the woman that, that he brings back is Rebecca. God could have beamed Rebecca from Nahor, where she was, to, to Canaan, where Isaac was. You know, Star Trek. He could have just made her appear, zap. He doesn't. Instead, he depends upon Abraham kind of putting his two thoughts together and saying, we better go back to Nahor and find somebody there. 
Not only that, but he sends the servant with 10 camels loaded with gifts. Well, if this person's just been picked out by God and it's already a done deal, I don't know why you need 10 camels loaded with gifts to convince her. But he sends the gifts. And after he goes on the journey, after he makes all the preparations, after he loads down all of his camels with gifts and does everything logical, everything strategic, everything in his power that he can do, then and only then does he pray and say, God, I need a sign. you got to help me out. Help me find the right girl. And that's how it should be for us. I'm not saying, and don't, don't misunderstand me, what the point of this sermon is, is not, is to say, just marry whoever you want. You know, go off and do whatever you want. It's all up to you. Leave God out of it. It's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying start off on your own. Start by figuring out what you want. Start by doing everything you can do. And then, then you start praying and asking God for help. And God will help you, just like he helped Moses. Because to say the obvious, Moses couldn't part the Red Sea on his own. But God doesn't do it for him. He helps, it, he helps him, but he doesn't do it for him. Why? Because God is a father. And any good parent knows you don't do it for your kids. You help them, but you don't do it for them. And the reason God does that with Moses and the reason that God does it with us is the same reason good parents do it with their kids is because he wants us to grow. He's way less concerned with the outcome and way more concerned with helping you become the person that he wants you to be. And that's going to mean doing hard things, summoning your strength that he gave you. He gave you this strength, this natural strength, this natural ability, these natural talents, this ability to reason things out, doing everything you can do, and then when you get to the end of your rope praying. And what that is is a totally different type of prayer. You know, I think about my own girls. It's interesting. If you, if you try to think about what is God like, so he tells us he's a father. What is he like and what does he like? So what does he like from us? What does he enjoy from us versus what does he not enjoy from us so what i do not enjoy from my girls is when they when they started on something and they haven't even really started or tried and dad i can't do it i can't i can't do it i don't like that i don't like that and i i don't say oh let me let me help you because it's bad for them but what i do like is when they've been working on something for an hour and they come and they say, Dad, I've gotten 80% of the way there, but I'm just stuck on this, this one thing. Can you help me? I love that. I love coming in and helping them. Then I don't say, oh, do it by yourself. No, then I'm so happy to come alongside them. For whatever reason, God in his wisdom, which is far beyond our own, has given us that agency, that power, that responsibility to live our own lives. And if we abdicate that, then we also kind of sever that connection to his power. So, like I said, we've been talking about this with respect to uh, finding a spouse, you know, choosing a spouse. Uh, What I said at the outset is that it applies to any project or any area of your life. But but as we're closing and wrapping up, uh, since it's a marriage series, I do want to just spin it and pivot for just one minute and talk about how this exact same concept applies to if you're already married. Because the the thing that I like so much about this mentality and this approach, you want to get married, go find a spouse. Uh, 
is that what it makes clear from the outset, from the very beginning, is that marriage is what you make it. Because if you think that God is just delivering this perfect mate to you, well then, guess what happens when, you know, in day two of the marriage, everything's a disaster. And it's like, well, God, what, did, what is this? You know, what's wrong with them? I thought they were going to be perfect. But if you know that this is a choice you're making, if you know that this is something that you had to go out and do of your own initiative, well, then it's going to be the same thing keeping it alive. It's going to take initiative. It's going to take work. It's going to have to be you and your spouse rolling up your sleeves and making it happen. Marriage is what you make it. And if you spent all the time that you spend, I'm going to speak very harshly here for a second, um, don't hate me, but just listen. If you spend all the time that you spend complaining about your spouse and all the time you spend comparing your spouse to other people and all the time you spend uh, blaming your spouse and second-guessing the decision to get married to your spouse and fantasizing about what it would be like to be married to somebody else, if you took all that time and energy and put it into working on your marriage, guess what? You'd have the marriage you want. The grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. But it's not necessarily greener on this side of the fence either. The grass is greener where you water it, where you weed, where you put in the work and effort. And God will help you if you take the initial steps. God will come alongside you, but you've got to be willing to do whatever it takes if you want to save your marriage, if you want to have a happy marriage, if you have a, want to have a good marriage to do whatever it takes on your end, everything within your power to make that happen. And I want to close with the same thing we closed with last week, which is that for most people, you need help. You need help doing that. Even if you're willing to put in the work, you might not know where to start. And that's where a counselor can be uh, so helpful and make such a difference. So if I had my way, every single couple in our church would have, have been through marriage counseling or would be in marriage counseling and that's why uh, LMCC pays for half. We pay for 50% of any counseling bill. So I'm going to send out a, uh, a email tomorrow, kind of the instructions for getting this set up. And I hope you all, I hope you, I hope you will take this step and take the initiative to make something happen. And then as you do, to, to trust God to do the rest. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of the complexity of the way you made us and the way you made the world. And we see you tell us to depend on you and trust you and look to you. But then we also see you tell us to stand up and get moving and make something happen. I pray that for every person in this room, not just with finding a spouse or having a great marriage, but with every area of our lives, that you'd help us to find the right balance. You'd help us to, to sit dead center as much as possible when it comes to this tension between you being in control and us being responsible. And that you'd guide us. That you'd inspire us by your spirit. You'd motivate us to, to start moving and get to work. But then as we do, that you would guide us and you would help us and you would supply the part that we could never supply ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.